Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies or die trying. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there with the Death Races. Apologies for missing last week's episode. I only had watched one movie by the time I needed to uh, record last week and figured I would make for a very good in- episode. So I pushed it off to this week where I'd have a little bit more done, which luckily I did. Uh, as of last night, I finished all the documentary feature films and all the Best Picture nominees, plus a couple of acting-nominated-only films. So we'll talk about those and also my adjusted plans for the rest of the season, especially since it looks like more films are going to be available by the end of the race. Speaking of, here's some of the news about films that are now available or will soon be available online. First, on February 7th, HBO Max dropped both the documentary All That Breeds as well as the cinematography nominee Empire of Light. Uh, various sources online, including the Criterion Collection and or Criterion Collection and Apple TV, have indicated that the international nominee EO will be available next week on February 21st. This coming weekend, the various sorts programs for live action, documentary, and animated will be premiering across the country at various art house theaters, such as the IFC Center here in New York. So if you haven't gotten into the, the sorts yet or can't find them online, this would be a good place to do that. Now, I don't have a firm source on this, but rumors are in the Discord that The Whale will be available on streaming on the 24th and living on March 6th, which means it'll also be on the high seas if you're into that. Those are starting to lose some theaters uh, nationwide. Uh, so that's a bit of a welcome news for anyone who hasn't been able to make it out to a theater yet to see it, like myself. Uh, just just in, uh, the documentary A House Made of Splinters, which has only been available on BBC Player via VPN so far, looks like it will be getting a digital release here in the States on February 21st, as well as some Alamo Draft House theaters in early May- March. And then finally, the biggest news for most people, I think, is that the movie Warren Sir was an actual movie, uh, Tell It Like a Woman, will be available on POVOD this weekend, the 17th. Uh, it has a trailer and everything, so yeah, uh, it's actually it's actually happening, guys. So I think for most of the problematic films, you know, that's mostly, at least from a U.S. perspective, those are taken care of. Uh, Close uh, is another one, but that's currently in theaters. Um, a Quiet Girl debuts at the end of the month in theaters. And if you have a VPN, I believe can be streamed from other countries. Um, Living is probably the hardest uh, of those who couldn't, since, who, those who can't go to theaters since we don't have a firm date on its release date. Um, by the very least, it's out there. Uh, it's out there in theaters and with a possible digital release penciled in. Now, you know, the fact that some of these aren't quite fully out yet doesn't, hasn't stopped some death races from finding their ways and means to continue the race. Um, finishing, uh, now going to the leaderboards, first with Ford vs. Paris Oscars Death Race.com website, we're up to 29 completed racers, up from nine just two weeks ago. Uh, congratulations to Killua, uh, Hisoka, Nathan Cole, Kath Lizzle, Subado, JNW Songs, Unclear, R. Helgren, M.B. Bananas, Dice Packets, uh, Ia Carvosajam, uh, Kathy, Dorky Romantic, Bad of Zion, Snewberry, Eric from Boston, S- uh, Shamil Bick, Minding the Gap Was Robbed, M. M. Glenn Johnson, and Ilya Latvia uh, on completing the race. Uh, personally, I am maintaining my 294th place out of 686 registered users, about 46% complete. I have 25 features completed, 14 features, and 15 sorts left to go. Uh, over on Slight Astros uh, sl- uh, site, uh, deathracetracking.com, uh, we have 15 out of 57 completed, with myself at 38, based off of total time left to watch, with 62% of the t- total duration completed. Uh, the new races on that list we have completed are Anthony Ezra from Boston, Sabado, General 61, Mindy the Gap was robbed, Nathan Cole, Whitney Joe, R.H. Elgren, uh, Yavaku Sujam, uh, Dorky Romantic, Eric from Boston, and Amaran uh, Talila. Uh, congratulations to you guys.
Now, for this week's episode, I'm going to be a little bit quick just because I have some errands to do uh, before I actually head out of town this weekend. Um, but like I said, I finished the documentary feature race as well as the best picture race for Woman Talking, a supporting actor race by Washington Causeway. And then I also started After Sun uh, as another actor-only nominee. So let's go through these in the chronological order that I watched them since the last episode. Uh, first up, we have uh, After Sun, which I watched on February sixth. I watched it on HBO on uh, on Prime Video on Prime Video after renting it here. Um, a lot of people have said that this is the uh, best film of the year from twenty twenty two, and I personally can see why you would say that, right? Um, personally, it's still everything everywhere for me, but there's definitely a personal element for that. Um, but I think After Sun is just a really well done, honestly. I think this would have been nominated for Best Picture and also replaced everything Triangle of Sadness got um, for director and for um, and for original screenplay. I mean, you know, the way that this one deals with kind of realizing, you know, this 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 uh, the you know Frankie Corio's character once he once he grows up, kind of looking back at you know realizing she didn't really know who her father was, and then um, and then looking back, you know, I think what I really like about the script is that it has layers to the screenplay right like you know like if you literally just read the dialogue without actually you know viewing things on page or seeing paul mescal's performance um you know you was like oh he's just a dad taking a kid on vacation there's nothing really going on there right but if you add in the context of how he's able to you know be having these this torment these demons inside him which he doesn't really express externally right at least to her in a way that she can perceive um but in a way that's conveyed through his acting i mean his acting nomination is very well justified here i'm very glad that he made it in um and yeah, I think the screenplay, you know, I think it leaves up leaves up a lot, you know, a lot of things to interpretation, right? I mean, you're not really sure like what is this rave sequences that are coming in and out. It's very dreamlike. You can tell it's definitely very much like an uh, a first first directing film, right? It's not like the cleanest film, perhaps, um, but I think it just carries a lot of weight to the screenplay, the dialogue, the acting, and also just directing and how things are framed. It's, it's some very interesting things. I think the choice to you know have part some things be through um, you know the recorded camera and some things to not be uh, to be kind of like using a more conventional camera lens right um, without the filter on top of it I think made for some interesting you know discussion I think this is a film that doesn't give everything out of the gate but it has everything in there that you need to take away what you need to take away from it so I think is a sign of a really good film and frankly you know this one is definitely uh, one of my favorites from the death race I'm really glad I had an excuse to watch this uh, five out of five for me uh, next up, we have uh, then on February 11th, I actually watched four films uh, over the course of this day. I, I saw two in theaters and then two here at home. Uh, so first off, uh, I went to the IFC Center to go catch All the Beauty and Bloodshed because um, I was afraid, you know, it's starting to you know get the awkward show times. So, you know, okay, I definitely have to make sure I get to this um, before the other ones, um, before, before, you know, it leaves theaters. So I saw that early in the morning, like 11 o'clock or so. Um, so this one uh, is, you know, as many people know, the... Uh, portrayal of um, of a famed photographer Nan Golding, and you know it starts off kind of you know framed in her uh, um, protest, her her activism against the Sackler family, who's you know obviously known for contributing to the opioid epidemic across the United States, um, and kind of you know how you know the way she's trying to keep them accountable is to get their names out of you know the various institutions um, you know museums academic institutions and so on uh, who have who they've donated to and kind of in, in her words laundered their money into goodwill right um, despite you know the, the what the cause they've harmed across the nation now 
you know, at first I wasn't really sure about this one, right? Like I was a lot more interested in the segments about her activism with with the groups he founded, Pain, and kind of like with the 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 stuff they did um, into into protest, right? Um, but then, you know, it, it kept on going back and forth, kind of like her narrating her childhood, essentially over a slideshow of just pictures from her youth, right? Not a lot of of actual. Um, footage from that time, mostly like you know, still pictures, um, which you know I think you know, it, it was it was it was interesting. I think in that you it, you got a sense of who she was as a person. But it was like you know, I, I the thing is like if you weren't already invested her as a person, it's like it would be kind of like the so what, right? And then also right, I was at at first kind of like uncertain, like okay, why are we just showing a slide sort of pictures? Like, are we really making the full use of the medium of of film right to tell this story, right? Um, and you know, by uh, what I what I realized later on, obviously, is that there was a whole part of it what that was that you know her career. She got really known for these slideshow presentations of pictures she took, you know, of her life in in Lower East Side New York, and and, and you know part of the counterculture and so on, and you know being engaged with the LGBT community and dealing with the AIDS epidemic, and that slideshow, you know, the slideshow format of these pictures were reflective of her career and her work um, as you know making these slideshow pictures. And then the other part, right, I think, which dovetailed nicely with the activism part was that you know you kind of got a sense of hey here are you know here is where her desire for rebellion comes from right? it comes from the way that her sister was treated by her family it comes from you know being kind of sent to you know foster care right and then you know kind of finding this community and, and kind of like being part of this counterculture against the norm right um, and you kind of got a sense of like okay yeah this is someone whose life has been building up to this uh, activism in her, later in her life that stems from her Art early on, so I get that, and it definitely became a lot more apparent. I uh, apparent and how it tied together nicely. Um, at the end of the day, I think you know it was a little underbaked in both halves. It felt like two separate films, kind of you know. Light, thankfully, they were brought together, but I would I would have loved to see some more um, either integration between the two right like the different chapters reflecting different parts i don't think really nailed it the landing so much and again right like as much as i respect that you know yes you're reflecting her uh slideshow style of her art basically in the film um i don't still don't know if that fully makes use of the documentary film format so um overall i liked it i definitely I, I, and i can see why it would resonate with a lot of people especially if you're into art i um, mean you know who nan golding was um unlike me who didn't know who she was before this um so you know overall i gave this one a four out of five you know, definitely a, a strong contender, I think, uh, and, and worthy nominee for, for documentary feature. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I jaunted across town after, you know, getting a chicken sandwich for lunch, uh, went to uh, went to the AMC Kip Spade to watch a Woman Talking, uh, in th which is still only in theaters um, at the 2 p.m. showing at AMC Kip's Bay. Um, came in a tad late, but I think it was, I, 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 no, I, I didn't come in a tad late. I came in a tad late for all the beauty and bloodshed, like maybe like a couple of minutes. But um, this one I came in on time. Um, and yeah, I mean, this one was, you know, it's, it's the only Best Picture nominee um, with only one uh, nomination elsewhere, which is the uh, original screenplay nomination. Um, and, you know, I mean, you know, it was a it was a well done enough movie, right? I mean, it was definitely, I think, you know, 
people were saying it kind of takes cues from 12 Angry Men, for example. Uh, I don't really buy that. I think, you know, some of the things that, that I think maybe bothered me um, were, you know, the framing and the directing, right? Like, so I think one of the things, for example, when you talk about 12 Angry Men that makes it so good, um, it's not only the script and, and the talk, but also the way things are framed, right? Like, you know, you go from having this one, if you look at the, watch the cinematography of 12 Angry Men, you have, you know, the one man who is, you know, uh, against the rest of the jury, um, you know, kind of framed in a particular way, right? Um, and he, uh, and he, and he's, and he's kind of like looked down on, and he looks small, and he's isolated from everyone. And then over the course of the movie, you see, you know, in the framing and blocking, right, more and more people coming to his side till he's kind of like the dominant one by the end of the film, right? Um, and so I think I. I personally didn't really catch any of that within women talkings, framing or blocking, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, people say, right, like the color grading wasn't that, wasn't, wasn't helpful. I mean, I w uh, was kind of desaturated, not great. Um, I will say, you know, I don't think it added or took away from anything. It is kind of is what it was, which, you know, maybe for an Oscar film, you wanted to actually be serving a purpose in the way you color grade it. Uh, maybe there was a purpose I didn't really actually catch from it. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's kind of like the situation there. Um, the score, as always, was really good. I'm sad this one didn't get nominated for original score. I think that it was a really very excellent score. Still, still like Babylon score a little bit more. Um, you know, I will say, you know, I think the color grading maybe made it a little bit difficult. Um, I'm not someone who knows who the actresses are kind of by face, um, especially if they're in costume and so on. Um, and the color grading didn't really help in, in, in kind of distinguishing between who was who. So I had to look it up afterwards who it was. And I mean, the actresses' performances were fine, right? I mean, you know, people saying that uh, Soli Karada or what was the other one, the two grandmother um, actresses were really good and, ha and had and sort of gotten more love, which, you know, I definitely see why they, they, they would say that. I think, obviously, Obviously, I think the bulk of it were you know, kind of like uh, Rooney Mara's character as the main actress, kind of bit of understand. I liked her character best, frankly. Um, Claire Foy and Jesse Buckwell's character, I think, um, you know, looked like did, did well enough as well. But I also would say that they, I didn't think they did better than the. Uh, well, again, I haven't seen Blonde or or Two Leslie, so I can't really comment. Well, sorry, no, for for supporting actress, um, I have seen all of those nominees except for Hong Chao, and I can't really say I think I they did better than than the ones I have seen so far. Um, now, the, funnily enough, I will say probably my favorite part of the film was Ben Wishaw, um, just because I think he brought a really interesting depth to his character. And I don't know, maybe I'm a bad person for thinking that the the film about women, the male character, was the best was the best one for me. But hey, it is what it is. What that, that I saw. Um, in any case, I think this one is kind of you know of the original adapted screenplay nominees I've seen so far. I think this one is. Probably the best um, in terms of like, you know, the, the since again, I think this one is just reliant so much on the dialogue, it wouldn't work anyway otherwise. So I think this one works really well. I think it definitely has a lot to say about trauma, which is interesting, right? This is like an interesting double feature, um, actually triple feature if you talk about the next one as well, about how people deal with trauma and, 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 and react to it, right? Um, followed by, um, you know, and also what it says about democracy and how people come to consensus and so on, right? Um, and 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 kind of self-determinant and all that. So I think that is a I think it's a really good screenplay with a lot to say. Um, so I'm really glad this one. I think this one hopefully uh, will win. I think from what I've seen so far. So um, that's Woman Talking. I gave it four out of five stars. Uh, next up in the evening, I watched Causeway. Um, this one was nominated for supporting act with Brian Tyree Henry. And I mean, you know, again, talk about a film dealing with trauma. I mean. It was a, um, you know, it was a, it was a okay enough film. I mean, overall, the film was 
probably a three out of five for me. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a film. It was an interesting look into like, you know, people wanting to integrate back into society. I think maybe, I mean, at, even if it's a relatively short flat, only 90 minutes, I don't think it really needed to be that. I think he kind of got the point that, you know, she wasn't really getting there. She wasn't, she was having trouble reintegrating back. It was kind of like somewhat repetitive. Um, but Brian Tyree Henry just lost himself in that role. And I think he really did a really good job of portraying this kind of range of emotion from being a friend to being hurt to being and, and so on. Right. Um, I think he is probably one of the other highlights. I'm, I'm really glad I got to, you know, get to know him through this film. Um, and looking forward to see what he does in future films. And hopefully, you know, I don't think he's going to win this one. It's def this is definitely Kehu Kwan's category to, to lose. Um, but, you know, I definitely will be looking forward to seeing more of him in the future in other roles. So, um, Causeway overall, three out of five. But Brian Tyree Henry is definitely a five out of five. Um, finally, the last film we watched uh, that on on February 11th uh, was Navalny, um, the documentary about um, Alexei Navalny, the uh, Russian opposition leader against Putin, who uh, was poisoned and then eventually, uh, you know, brought, went back to Russia and is now currently imprisoned there. Um, at first, I wasn't sure I was going to like the film just because it felt very typical documentary. Now, when I look at documentaries, you know, going back to, for example, All the Beauty and Bloodshed, I like the ones that aren't really just talking heads. I want someone to do something different with the format, right? Um, you know, talking head films are okay, but, you know, especially if they're, especially if they're first person accounts of what happened, right? I think that's probably the most powerful documentaries as a, like the lowest of the low of documentaries for me are, oh, here's an expert talking about some subject that they studied, but didn't live through, right? The next level up, right, which would be like a three out of five, um, would be something along the lines of, hey, here's my personal, per personal first person experience with this, um, of, of what happened, right? Um, the, but you, to really take it to the next level, you either, if you're a talking head film, have to say something broader about just war, the world, society in general, through the talking head parts, or, right, uh, do something outside of the talking head format. I think that's why I gave All the Beauty and the Blood to the four out of the five. Sure, there were some talking head segments, but it didn't really, um, it didn't really focus on that predominantly. A lot of it was kind of like the footage that the group Payne was taking to make a documentary themselves later on, right? Um, and of course, the pictures that 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 Nan Golding kind of like talked about her life in first person. Um, so that, that's a little bit of a different format. Now, where going back to Navalny, right? Obviously, you know, it's it's kind of like you know a little bit of experts talking about him, a little bit of Navalny himself talking, uh, kind of before he went back to us and got arrested, um, and obviously some press footage. This was made in partnership with CNN, um, but I think what is really took a turn to be amazing, I think, um, was in the sequence when, you know, they kind of figure out, okay, who is, like, on the ground, this, this somehow this journalist, this group, they got footage from someone embedded in his campaign and his team, finding out, okay, we found out who's the people who poisoned him through this, you know, through this uh, digital espionage, basically, um, and then that scene, like, that singular, the, the scene that launched this into amazingness, I think, was where he phone calls one of the chemists on the team pretending to be uh, some some Russian officer basically um, and then they basically get him to spill everything and the, kind of like how they went in and got it basically and unfortunately that guy's probably in dead somewhere um, but just that embeddedness this reminds me a lot of that documentary a couple of years ago Collective about those investigative journalists who you know kind of go in and investigate this fire in uh, Romania nightclub and kind of like kind of the fallout from that and kind of get the corruption and all that I think it was very similar to 
Die, which is one of my favorite documentaries of that year. Um, so in a, in a sense, Navalny kind of toward the end took a twist to that. I think Navalny also has really helped that uh, the, the, you know, the individual himself, Alexei, um, is a YouTuber, right? Um, kind of funny to think about this, a documentary about a YouTuber um, who just happens to be the opposition to, to Putin. Um, but then also... You know, he has a real flair. He has a really interesting individual, right? And I think he knows how to play to the camera. So I think that made for a much more engaging, like, oh, he's a really interesting character to feature and profile. Now, this film probably has a better than... So overall, I gave this one a four out of five. I still wasn't a fan of the... You know, I think if he hadn't been as interesting an individual as he was, um, you know, if it happened to anyone else who just wasn't as charismatic, the film wouldn't have been as well. Um, and I think they stuck a little bit too much to the talking head format a little bit. So overall, I think four out of five, not like the peak of documentary, but still very entertaining at the very least. Um, and obviously, honestly, this one probably has a better shot at winning the the, the the category than others just because, hey, I mean, it's a it'll be a middle finger to Putin uh, if this one were to win, right? Um, anyway, uh, so then moving on, you took a couple days, had some stuff to do. So then on February 15th, um, I ended up watching, uh, the other documentary that just came out on HBO Max, which I mentioned, All That Breeds, um, which is, you know, the story of two brothers in India who take care of these kites, you know, these birds, these birds of prey, um, who are falling ill, you know, due to pollution in the city and so on, um, and kind of like their aspirations and dreams. Um, honestly, you know, and apparently like look, reading into this a little bit, apparently they, the filmmaker captured like 400 hours of footage of just, you know, filming the brothers, filming the birds, filming the environment around them and cut it down somehow to 90 something minutes, um, which is a, a, a feat of, of documentary making just to be able to edit through all that footage, right? Now, you know, I think, and I, I think what I really appreciate about this film is that um, there was a, a documentary a couple of years back or actually it was last year's uh, nominee, um, who obviously wasn't going to win against Summer or Soul, but it was uh, Ascension, um, which was kind of like, you know, the Jessica Kingdom documentary about uh, kind of life in China without too much narration. Now, there's a little bit of narration here from the brothers, but it was just kind of like, kind of slice of life, literally just filming, last year Ascension was filming kind of like the, what life is like in China from the lowest socioeconomic growth up to the highest growth, right? Um, and, you know, this did a lot of the same thing. It kind of filmed, you know, the, the opening shot is just like a film of panning across the ground at night in Delhi and you see these rats running around. So you kind of get a sense of like the environment and what it's like. And it's just like these brothers just going about their lives, taking care of these birds. Um, but I think what's really powerful about this film is it's it's on multiple levels, right? You have... In the background, you hear about you know Muslim is Muslim Hindu uh, protests and, and growing nationalism within uh, within um, within India, right? And kind of like that whole political spectrum. You hear about um, you know you, you hear about you know the pollution going on. You see shots of the pollution and how it's affecting the birds, how the growing expansion of the city, how you know people are you know getting encroaching on the birds' territory and causing them to be stressed and, and, and falling out of the sky and so on. You see these brothers working so hard to try to do it, but then you also see like, look, we have this great clinic but the road in front of the the road in front of the um the the the, the clinic is, is 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 terrible how is anyone going to bring birds to them right um and i mean i think it just leaves so much to, to, to there's so much in here to pick apart about you know xenophobia about religious intolerance about our relationship to the environment again there's so many thoughts of wildlife within delhi and kind of like this ecosystem there's this metaphor throughout of Delhi as an ecosystem, right? And the birds are kind of like a, an indicator of the health of the ecosystem, but then how the economic conditions uh, are affecting them, right? How, how the uh, religious intolerance and xenophobia and social is all coming. I think this is probably my favorite documentary of 
again, partly because of the style, right? It's very, there's pretty much no talking heads about it. The cinematography is gorgeous. The, you know, pacing is maybe a little bit slow, um, but it's very meditative, right? It was kind of like Ascension was last year for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think this one, I don't think it's going to win. I think it's a little bit maybe out of, hard, hard to grasp for some people, but when you are able to grasp it, there's so many layers to this to peel back. I love this documentary. Um, this one got, is, got my five out of five for this category for me. Um, and then the last film that I watched was another documentary, which I watched last night, which was A House Made of Splinters via VPN to the BBC, um, though it will be available legally soon here in the States. Um, this one, you know, interesting, right? It, it's kind of similar to the All That Breathes in that there is, you know, it's basically embedded footage of this uh, team within this, uh, over the two years of the, within this temporary house, you know, of children who not from the most recent, um, you know, incursion into Ukraine from Russia, but from the 2014 incursion, you know, you know, kind of like the, 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 the war situation in, 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 in incursion, uh, and, 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 and Russian separatists, you know, causing people and families to tear apart, you know, families telling, turning to alcoholism, to drugs, to crime, breaking up these families. So these kids, you know, before they go to an orphanage, you know, they're kept at this temporary house for up to nine months. And it's about these, you know, these caretakers who are taking care of these kids and, um, what life is like and how they try to provide life for them. And you see, you know, it ranges, right? Sometimes, you know, uh, some kids end up getting adopted into a foster family. Sometimes their grandparents are able to come take them away. And then Sally, you know, sometimes, you know, parents just seem to be, you know, kind of kind of dickwads basically and not take care of their kids, not come give a shit about them and just lose themselves in, in alcohol. And so the kids get sent off to an, orf an orphanage for a longer stay basically, right? Um, it's kind of, you know, it, it's kind of like all of these different facets of like what life could end up with, you know, an epilogue at the end that, you know, before the Russian uh, incursion, the, the kids were evacuated out to the western part of Ukraine. Um, and so I like the format of this one, right? It does something different. But I think the problem I have with this film is beyond saying, look how terrible the situation these kids have. Um, look how great these people are for providing this loving area of some sort of normalcy for them in this period of transition, um, of this period of, of, of uncertainty. Um, it doesn't really do much more with that beyond painting a picture of this is something going on in the world right now, right? Um, as opposed to say, right, House Made of Splinters saying, hey, here's something, it's saying something about our relationship to the planet, to each other, and kind of like these broad ideas beyond the surface level, this is happening somewhere, right? Um, so so overall, I, it was an it was a nice enough film. I admittedly was a little bit distracted. I was working on some other stuff throughout, partly because it wasn't really holding my attention otherwise. Um, so overall, I gave this one a three out of five. Well done. Just I don't think the the peaks of it. So um, yeah, I think House Made of Splinter is probably not going to win though. Again, you know, it, it does have. I think I think Navalny has a stronger case as the anti-Putin pro-Ukraine uh, nomination uh, for for this category. So yeah, those are the films I watched the last two weeks. Um, like I mentioned, I am, uh, I believe, at um, uh, uh, 25 features completed. Still have to do all of the sorts, but that's going to be changing this weekend. So let's talk about my plans since, you know, originally I was hoping to watch Blonde and Two Leslie and I'm not doing that. What are my plans for the rest of the um, for the rest of the race, right? So this weekend, actually, like I mentioned, I'm going to be, actually be out of town. I'm going to be in Philadelphia for a convention, um, but I will make time while I'm out of town to go ahead and watch the new Ant-Man film um, as, well as, the, uh, as well as the animated sorts at the Landmarks Ritz Theater uh, in Philadelphia on Saturday night. Um, unfortunately, 
the whale and living are no longer sewing in Philadelphia city uh, theaters. Uh, so I'm going to have to catch them in New York sometime in the soon near future. When I get back, you know, I'm going to be working, you know, uh, on the docs and animated shorts, uh, which, you know, are mostly available online. Um, and then I'll also go ahead and work on the two animated feature films, Puss in Boots and, and uh, The Sea Beast, which are both available online. So the next week's episode, I should be talking about sorts and animated films. Uh, the week after that, you know, uh, I'm going to be uh, the first weekend of March, the week of March. Uh, I'm going to try to see The Whale and Living in Theaters, uh, mostly because, you know, even though I know they're still in New York theaters, I don't want to rely on them being here indefinitely. Um, and then I'm also going to work on, at home, the nom- films that are nominated for technical awards only. So Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Empire of Light, and Bardo. Um, so yeah, the next the next episode after, um, next one, will be uh, in the first weekend of March, uh, will be technical nominees and, act- and, and, and the acting categories. Um, and then for the episode before the Os- the week before the Oscars, you know, in addition to having a guest on to make predictions for who will win, I'm going to be working on the international nominees. So EO, which is still playing at the Lincoln Center right now, but hopefully will be coming to home video. Um, a Quiet Girl, which releases in theaters that weekend. And then Close, which is currently in theaters now, as well as Argentina 1985, which will be on Amazon Prime. So then I have like a half week before the Oscars, which, you know, again, I've been unmotivated to check out Blonde and Two Leslie based on the meh reviews for them. Um, but I guess both of them thematically work with Tell It Like a Woman, uh, being actress nominees and, you know, Tell It Like a Woman and all that. So I'm going to try to finish on these and try to finish on those three, um, ending on Tell It Like a Woman as is tradition for me, um, which again will be available online. So yeah, the death race is totally doable at this point. I just have to uh, stick to it. It doesn't hurt. Well, it, it, it's it's an unfortunate, you know, I'll, I'll admit to you listeners that I actually just recently got laid off uh, from my job. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, I do have a plan to get back to work. Don't worry. And also, that just gives me time to watch more movies. So, hey, it's, it's it all works out. Um, also, before we go, just a quick shout out to Dakota from the Convazoom pod. Um, I was actually recently on an, uh, we just yesterday recorded an episode for his upcoming uh, Oscar Best Picture review. So we talked about everything, everywhere, all at once. Elvis and Woman Talking, which I wa- is part of the why I watched it this week. Um, to appear on his podcast so we watch those films uh, talk about each category they're nominated in their thoughts you know if they were a front runner or just you know a dark horse or just happy to be there so you know that's going to be coming out I believe next Monday um, so you know, um, you know I'll link it in next episodes linking this one's next episode but definitely make sure you check out Dakota's uh, podcast Contra Zoom Pod um, in any case, that wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. You can let me know how your Death Race is going over on Twitter at Oscars D Racecast or via email at Oscars Death Race podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Sewing of Podcast Service of Choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Leave us a review there or even to share with a friend. Any of that helps. Uh, link in the show notes will also be my Box account under the username NinjaBoy, boy with an I. Make sure to check out the Oscar Race, Oscars Death Race subreddits, and the Academy of Death Racers Discord, as well as OscarsDeathRace.com and DeathRaceTracking.com. Music is provided by Kevin MacLeod, his stuff is in comments from his the IO, editing production by Ninsboy Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paulo of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Until next time, I'll be here trying to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying. <laughs>